everyone, and welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. I'm Jonathan, your host, and here at Redbeard Outdoors, I talk to you about faith, family, fitness, and the outdoors. My favorite, of course, are the discussions that I get to have on Saturdays and share those conversations with you guys. I don't consider them interviews because, honestly, I, I really enjoy having conversations with these people and learning from the guests that I get to have on the show and that's why I bring them on the show so that I can learn from them and then share the conversations with you guys. Today, I've got an amazing guest for you. His name is Robbie. If you haven't looked into Blood Origins, you need to go look them up. I'll leave the links down below where you can find Blood Origins. They're an amazing group all about conservation, but even more so a great group of people that are trying to bridge the divide between those who are non-hunters or even anti-hunters and hunters. And even so within hunting, the hunting community, trying to bridge the divide between, for some reason, the divide between hunters. There shouldn't be that divide. And that's why I wanted to bring him on so that he could discuss how he's doing that, why he chose to approach it the way that he has and how his group and organization, his nonprofit has grown significantly to where it literally has had an impact globally. So you definitely want to go check them out and go check out the links down below while you're listening to this conversation. Uh, before we get into this great conversation that I had with Robbie, just a quick shout out and reminder guys that this podcast is brought to you by First Form, First Form Outdoors, Alpen Fuel, Heather's Choice, Black Ovis, All In Digiscoping, A3 Archery Bowstrings, Kestrel Glassing Systems, Quattro Archery, Absolute Aid CBD, and of course, Affect Beard Oil. Go check out all those links down below, guys. If you have any questions about those products, please let me know. Shoot me an email. Send me a message. I'd be more than happy to discuss how I use them on my day-to-day -day, uh, purposes. So uh, other than that, guys, hope you enjoy this amazing conversation. I wanted to share this with you for the first conversation of 2023. Wow, guys, we're in a whole new year. And this one will kick it off right. Come and learn with me from Robbie with Blood Origins. Here we go. All right, everyone, I've got an amazing guest here today with us, Robbie from Blood Origins. They have an amazing message. If you haven't checked out Blood Origins yet, you definitely should. Um, it's just a great group of individuals that are doing everything they can to help the hunting community throughout the entire globe, not just here in the U.S. And so this is something that for me is really important uh, for any hunters out there, whether you're a rifle hunter, bow hunter, whatever kind of hunter you are, definitely want to listen into this conversation and go check out what they have going on. But Robbie, uh, who are you and what do you do? Dang, what a question. Philosophically, who am I? Shit, I don't even know who I am sometimes. <laughs> and uh, especially today. Today I'm pretty good. I got a good night's sleep last night. Um, haven't slept at all well in probably oh, two and a half weeks now because we've been in South Africa. We've been in Zimbabwe. I got back from Zambia on Thursday. And then I was in Washington State for a fundraiser this weekend. Um, so yeah, who am I? I don't know. Today I'm I'm at home. I am very much looking forward to the Christmas holidays. We're in a new state. We're in a new home. Uh, that's about 15 minutes from the in-laws. So for the first time since we've had kids, really, 
we're going to be able to have Santa, Father Christmas, come to our house on Christmas Day. My wife's already got me the matching pajamas that I have to wear with everyone else. So, yeah, man, that's who I am. A lot sure that of wasn't your plan, actually... the matching PJs? <laughs> Could be. I, You know, but a lot of people don't know a lot of things about me. Now you just exposed it, Jonathan. Thank you. My reputation just went down the drain. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's funny that whole thing. Like we do, that that's not a, a South African thing. Like you never, we never had like matching PJs as kids or anything like that. It's um, yeah. So I, I, you know, again, back to the question: who I, who am I? Um, a lot of people don't get to see the personal side of me. We try to, because Blood Origins isn't about me. Um, but I've heard a lot of people say that they want to see a little bit more about me. They want to see a little bit more about this guy that pushes the message for hunters around the world and and we do i i'll start doing a little bit more of that but really i just you know from a blood origins perspective um the opportunities that america provides you from a hunting perspective a hunting lifestyle choice is unheard of anywhere else in the world and i'm privileged enough to be an american citizen now and being privileged enough to raise my two boys in this lifestyle and um I've been in a place where that lifestyle is non-existent, doesn't exist anymore. And so I'm going to fight until my, you know, my nail beds are, are bleeding for our lifestyle to continue. And really what that means specifically from my perspective and blood origins perspective is about changing perceptions because in the social media world that we live in today, perceptions is nine tenths of reality and if there's nobody else pushing message around perceptions, then we, we're just going to keep being perceived the way that we've been perceived for the last 20 to 30 years, which is we're just bloodlusting killers and which is understandable again, because that's all they see. They all they see is killing and outdoor channel and sportsman's channel is all about killing. And that's okay. Don't get me wrong. People don't jump on me and say, Oh, you're against it. No, no hunting. You hunt because we like to kill things. Uh, or not we like to we hunt because we kill things it's difference than between hunting and hiking um and the sportsman's channel and outdoor channel and all that kind of stuff is geared towards hunters hunters that's what we do we like that and but the non-hunting majority when they're like well let me see what a hunting you know hunters like or let me see what hunting does where do they get that information to really understand that they get it from the outdoor channel and the sportsman's channel. And it's a skewed misperception of who we are as hunters and hunting. So that's who I am. That's what Blood Origins does. We're a nonprofit, 501c3 nonprofit, um, that really is just simply interested in conveying the truth about hunting all around the world from different peoples and their different walks and their different backgrounds. Um, so, yeah, long-winded answer to a very simple question. No, that's a lot that we're going to delve into here. And I appreciate you sharing that because it's, it's really what I can't remember exactly where I heard of you guys first. Um, I want to say it was through just a friend of mine. And then I heard you on the Stealthy Hunter podcast um, okay. with Hillary, I believe. Yep. Yeah, Hillary and, Lampers. Uh, and I just, you know, there's, there's so many, there's good organizations that actually, you know, put out and fight. Uh, like what you were saying, uh, just fighting for for the lifestyle that we have, the privileges, because 
as much as we want to say it's a right, it's really not a right to go out and hunt, unfortunately. Um, right. I think that should have been in the Constitution because that's a way to provide for your family, but it it wasn't. So it is a privilege that we have to fight for. And uh, there's, there's good and bad organizations. And you guys are one of the good ones that are actually out there putting out good information and, and fighting for us uh, as hunters. And so um, and I agree with what you say as well. You know, sometimes people say harvest, sometimes people say kill, but you are taking the life of an animal and uh, that animal is providing food for you and your family. But also at the same time, there's a lot more to it than just the kill shot. And I, I agree that, you know, Sportsman's Channel and everything else that caters to hunters, it's kind of at the top of the Google list when people Google <laughs> hunters or they look it up on YouTube, which are kind of the top two places they'd look it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, that can get a bad reputation. So I love what you're spreading. I can't imagine the information that you have to absorb because <laughs> I barely know all the laws. I know enough of the laws in Utah to not get in trouble with DWR, mm-hmm. uh, but you have to know them for all the states, all the countries that you go into. And it just, it blows my mind the amount of information that you have to understand so that you mm-hmm. can speak educationally with these representatives in different areas of the world. Um, how do you tackle that? How do you go about uh, researching that information and, and maintaining it in your mind? Yeah, I think the fact that, so I have a PhD in in wetland ecology. And so my background is academia, right? That is my, that's what I was, I've built my career on and built 20 years of, of work around. So research essentially is you know, dare I say it's in my blood, just like hunting is in our blood. Research is just a part of like how I'm made up. Um, and so just absorbing information, knowing how to absorb information, knowing where to cherry pick information from, validate it, verify it, is it, something that I'm really good at. Um, and so that is certainly a, a help in the in the blood origins realm. Yeah, it's a pretty scary t- task every day. You wake up, my phone wakes up, hunting is going on 24 hours a day, seven days a week everywhere around the world. So it's really a 24 seven job. Um, because when you're going to sleep, Australia's awake, New Zealand's awake, that kind of those, that side of the world is awake. So I'll wake up to, I don't know, 250 WhatsApp messages, WhatsApp. I don't know if you ever use WhatsApp. Americans aren't very used to WhatsApp, but the rest of the world is a WhatsApp like crazy place. Um, 250 WhatsApp messages. I don't know how many DMS, I don't know how many tags and posts we wake up to. And so what we've, and the other thing then you've got to recognize is like, what do you tackle and what don't you tackle or what do you ignore versus what do you wait on? And that's, we've, that's a learning curve, right? So there's, there's issues that like, for instance, I think we've, we've, we've had a couple of people sort of jump on us a little bit lately in the last three or four weeks, because we haven't said anything about the Canadian gun ban nothing publicly. Well, number one, I was in Zambia for three weeks with absolutely zero service. So I'm like, well, I can't really do anything. And number mm-hmm. two, I, I'm just not, that's the class. That's the situation for your, to your point. I'm not familiar with Canadian politics very well. Um, I don't understand the process of how it gets put in place. And like, how would I influence something? Like, is there something that I can do and really, at the end of the day, right now, there's not much I can do. And what's being championed really now that I saw today was the MPs from the members of parliament from all parties are now starting to stand up and say, no, 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 this is crazy. This is ridiculous. 
which those are the guys, those are the powerful voices. So we just really have to champion those guys. We need to just say thank you to those guys. And that's probably what we're going to do, um, which is the waiting game, right? I wouldn't have been able to do mm-hmm. that if I put out a talking head about the Canadian gun hunting, gun gun issue three weeks ago. It would have been a completely different message than I would put out today. And I think today's message would be a much stronger message than it was three weeks ago because now we know the people that are fighting for us that may not even there are people that are non-hunters fighting for hunting rifles that's a better message so it's also it's all about timing and a little bit of fortuitousness a little bit of luck but um yeah research is is, i like research i like topics i like understanding them and then i've got a the other thing that really helps me is i I have a knack of being able to translate information to whatever level I need to translate it to, whether I'm talking to politicians, whether I'm talking to academics, whether I'm talking to biologists, or whether I'm talking to the general public. I can seat that message in terms of its understanding and complexity to whatever whatever audience I'm, I'm sort of sending the message to. I like that. Yeah. And I think I bet your, uh, your accent helps with that because it draws the attention of the, the normal folks. And then you sound more sophisticated when you go and talk to the, the politicians and the businessmen. So it's no, I bet that's, uh, that that's, man, I can't imagine having to deal with again, that wealth of knowledge. And then when you don't understand something, then you have to dive into it. Then you have to play the waiting game sometimes. And when people want that instant gratification, that turnaround, uh, it's just like with, I mean, the majority of things nowadays, people want an instant answer mm-hmm. and there's not always an instant answer. Like in this case, what you were saying, where you have to do that research, you don't want to speak out of, out of turn and, you know, give, whether it be blood origins or yourself or the hunting community, a bad name by saying right. something without having the education behind it. But at the same time, you also want to show that you are supporting the hunting community up in Canada. So I can't, that, that's a tough spot to be in, man. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it is what it is. You've got to get, as I, every day you develop a little thicker of a skin in terms of people like today. And, and, and the way that we approach it is everyone has the right to their opinion. Okay. When people support us and they give us money, they feel like they're like, hey, now I have, you know, I'm going to, tell you what you need to do. And that's fine too. I appreciate that and I understand that. And that's really how we approach things. Like today we dropped a a reel. We've got a story coming out. I don't know when this podcast will come out, but in December we have a story of an African-American family in Portland, Oregon. And the fact that they're African-Americans is part of the story. Well, we had an African-American guy who follows us respond to us today on the reel saying, you know, I'm often, I'm, I'm pretty much always in your corner, Robbie, but this one is off 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 the mark and um is distasteful and is disparaging or something like that. And my response to him was appreciate the comment, uh, appreciate your support, and appreciate your opinion. And we're not gonna hit it for everyone on the mark every single time. And um we're all about changing perceptions around who hunters are. And there is a perception that African-Americans aren't strong. You know, there's not a strong community of hunters in African-American. And that's what we're highlighting. But if you felt like it was distasteful and disparaging, okay, no problems. I appreciate your opinion. I appreciate your perspective. And I think just that, the way that we interact with someone like that is, 
is what we're getting is what we're known for is is that we don't you know a lot of people in that specific example would have been like oh screw you this is what it's like and this i can do whatever i want and honestly that's the problem with the hunting community is that we have this 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 attitude that well we can do what we want and i don't care what you say i'm gonna do it versus like oh you know, thank you for your opinion, or be very gentlemanly, or be respectful, or you don't know where that guy's coming from. Maybe he's having a crappy day. That's just social media, man. And we just, you just got to take your licks. You got to take your, your, you know, when people say different things and just remember, it's not personal. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I, I don't take it personally. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's it. No, definitely. that. That's a good way to handle things. And, and it's been mentioned you know, by you and uh, a lot of people that I would consider kind of uh, leading the fight uh, or people that are also in in the fight as well, that there's a lot of infighting when it comes mm -hmm. to the hunting community. And that's really unfortunate because we're already getting attacked enough as it is by people outside of the community. And to be 100% honest with you, I feel like, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, but a lot of the in or a lot of the things that are coming from whether it be PETA or other organizations like that, or politicians is from lack of understanding. That's the difference between, you know, ignorance and stupidity, right? They're ignorant on the topic. And so they see these fluffy, cute bears, you know, like Winnie the Pooh. And they're like, oh, well, why would, why would you want to hunt them? Why would you, why would you want to shoot a mountain lion? Why would, mm. you know, and, and then you get issues like in New Jersey, which, you know, luckily they've kind of reversed that and they've started yep. the, the hunting back up on, on the bears, but where kids couldn't go out to their school bus because these giant coastal bears were literally fighting during their rut in someone's front yard, knocking mm -hmm. over trash cans, destroying property. And these kids couldn't get to their school bus because, well, they're going to get eaten or torn up, you know, in, in the middle of this. So um, I, I think it's got a lot to do with the the lack of understanding the hunting community. Uh, and, and instead of thinking of, of people as, I, I don't know, uh, where I'm from North Carolina, you know, you get the, the back country hicks that are flying the, the rebel flag. That's what people think of as, as hunters. And that's not really what the hunting community is about. And so again, I, I love that you approach it in a very educational manner and, and you show it, you show different stories like the one that you shared uh, recently and all the other ones that you've shared that are hitting different communities so that you can bring people in instead of fighting against each other, you know, and, and just playing nice basically in the same sandbox. Yeah. I think the, I think the mis the, the miseducation of the, the Peters and the HS US of the world. I don't think it's a miseducation. I think it's an ignorance issue. Um, I think that they are, you know, they're a, a nonprofit fundraising machine that is all about raising money and they'll never, ever, ever be for anything tied to hunting, regardless of how much science you have, never. So really in that regard, it's us putting out information to, to change the understanding of their communities, not them themselves. Um, and really, really educate the people that are, you know, they, they support PETA and HSUS for the good work that they do, and that's great. Uh, but when they start sort of delving into this realm, providing information that they can, you know, more of the uh, more of the, the people that are just logical, because there's a lot of people out there that are that 
read what we say or, or, or read or watch a video or see our content. They're like, oh, that makes a lot more, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, what, what he's saying in terms of the infighting in the community, you know, I, I, I don't know if we'll ever, ever, ever get over it. Um, I think that I have a hypothesis that, you know, hunting is sort of is so ingrained DNA wise in our blood from way, 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 way back that there's inherently a competition component tied to hunting, right? That, the, that, that guy back in the caveman days, drug the deer back to the fire you know, was looked upon with high esteem by the village and, you know, got the, the the best woman that night and got, you know, the best treats that night and all the other hunters around the fire were like, oh, I want to be that guy and sort of a competitive spirit started from there. And instead of, you know, in, in today's society, you know, dogging him or, or getting down on him and telling him, well, he he did it this way. He shouldn't have done it that way. They just went out the next day and 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 tried to be better. Um, so I think inherently there's competition in a hunting society. Um, I, I, then the other thing is I think that all the infighting that we have comes down to two things. Number one, it comes down to jealousy sometimes. A lot of people are jealous of certain things that they want that. And because they can't have it, they will be disparaging around that thing, whatever it is. And secondly... Um, I think people just based on how they raised their culture and their background have a certain viewpoint or, and, and that viewpoint is a personal, is a preference viewpoint. It's not ethics. It's just a viewpoint on how things are to be done. It's just like anything, right? Your dad taught you that this is how you mix concrete. I don't know how you were taught to mix concrete, but I was taught to make a big, um, we had a big board, you put the sand, you put the mix, you put the concrete and you mixed it up. Then you spread it out. And then you made a, a little hole in the middle and you made like a moat and you poured the water into the moat and you folded it in from the outside. In. I guarantee you people who mix concrete are yelling at me right now because that's not how you're supposed to mix <laughs> concrete. And the only reason they're yelling at me is because they were taught differently. But we're doing the same thing. It's the same thing with hunting. Is that you just have a personal preference based on your culture and your background and how you were raised. And so when you see someone doing something different to what you are, you have a differing a differing of opinion, and you add social media that removes the context by which you're making that comment, turns into infighting. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you hit the nail on the head there because it, it really is just something that it. it some people don't even have a reason why they want to, they don't, they can't think of it off the top of their head, but I think it's because it it's ingrained in them from such a young age that in all reality, they they're fighting because that's all they know. And, you know, it's just like bow hunters, rifle hunters, muzzle loaders, uh, you know, deer hunters, elk hunter. Like there's so many groups that you can put yourself into that, you know, it's just like being an American, Everyone wants to have their own Democrat, Republican, et cetera. Like for some reason, there's this strong feeling of you have to be part of a even more small and I guess divisive group. And I don't understand. I personally don't agree with that because I'm able to take a step back and see, you know, I may not prefer rifle hunting right now, but as long as you do it ethically, 
and you're not going out and just mowing down animals, you know, like you're following the laws and, uh, and, and you're, har- you're harvesting the animal or you're killing the animal in an ethical way. I'm like, I don't care what weapon you use as long as it's legal. And I just prefer bow hunting because X, Y, Z reason, you know, mm-hmm. I'm able to have those conversations where some people would be like, Oh, well, you know, a bow won't kill the animal as ethically as a rifle. And you have to use this certain caliber, even break it down to what caliber hunter, you know, it's just, it, it, it makes me kind of chuckle a little bit because I'm like, what does it matter? Doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter. Exactly. And the whole, like, and the whole, like, you know, you mentioned it twice already. So I, I'm, I'm going to bring it up the whole kill versus harvest nomenclature and terminology. Um, a lot of people have said, well, you know, you, you're, you're bending the truth when you say harvest versus kill. You're not being honest to who you are as a hunter. Guys, at the end of the day, it's both. Okay? It's both. Because once you've killed that animal, what do you do to the meat on that animal? You don't kill the meat. You harvest the meat. You're taking the meat off the thing just like you would take a crop. So you're harvesting that meat. So it's both. You're both right. No one's wrong. It's <laughs> so what are we arguing about here, people? Just for the sake of arguing. <laughs> yeah. Excuse my language. Yeah, no, it's true though. It really is. It's it reminds me of my kids. You know, I leave my two youngest kids together and they can play great. And then all of a sudden something sparks an argument and then they just dig their heels in. No, my way is the right way. No, my way is the right way. And it's like, well, you're both kind of right. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. What exactly. does it matter? You know, why why fight about it? You're like children. So yeah, no, I, I definitely understand that. And that's why, again, I, I love the way that you and Blood Origins puts out the messages that you do because it is very understandable for non-hunters, for hunters, and for each and every group of hunters out there. And like you also mentioned, you're not going to hit uh, every single group, every single time, but with how many messages you are putting out there and the way you're putting out, you're consistent with the way you put it out. Just each message is going to hit a different group of people and hopefully bring them in to the conversation rather than making them feel like they're on the fringes. So, yeah, hundred percent. And you know, I'm not, I'm not the smartest individual when it comes to marketing, uh, because if you look at our marketing strategy, it's probably the worst marketing strategy in the world. In that instead of like creating this audience, this tight little audience and and really being that, you know, we, as you said, we create content that hits a diversity of markets, right? We, we create a, an episode about a New Zealander who's into habitat restoration. Well, of the spectrum of hunters, it's probably only going to appeal to 5% of hunters. You put a duck hunting episode out there, it's only going to appeal to the 15% of the duck hunters. You put a white-tailed episode of T-Bone, Travis Turner may may you know hit the southeastern market from a white-tail hunting perspective. So yeah, there's it, we're creating content that, again, is not actually geared for hunters, it's geared for the non-hunting majority, so that when someone says, well, this is the perception of hunters... Or this is what we think people already are ready to say, why don't you just go check out these guys? And there's 70 pieces of content already, you know, ready for them to absorb. It's not one piece of content or two pieces of content. There's 70 pieces all from all around the world, from all walks of life, from all diversities, from all genders, just have at it. 
Exactly. Yeah. And that, it, you know, I wouldn't say that that's terrible. Well, it depends on what you're trying to do, right? If you're trying to sell to a particular market, then I'd say maybe that's not the best marketing strategy, but oh, with thanks, the message Jonathan. that you guys bring, with, with the message Speaking that you guys bring, the fact that, you know, you're a nonprofit and you're literally fighting all over the world for these things, I would say that's, I mean, you guys have hit it on the head because you guys are consistent at what you, the way you put the message out there it may not be the same, um, I'd even say it is the same message. It's just geared towards different groups of people, but it's the same message mm-hmm. and you're consistent with that. So mm-hmm. I definitely w- would say that's a, that's a great way to do what you guys are aiming to do. Um, so I'm, I'm a little interested actually, how did you even, I mean, I'm kind of assuming I know why, but I don't want to assume because you know what assuming does. Um, and, uh, why did you start this? Why Blood Origins, um, kind of give us a little bit of background there mm-hmm. as to, I mean, what, what does it mean to you? Why did you start it? Yeah, I, um, you know, I was, I, I only started hunting when I came to the States. So I was 26 years old when I started hunting, um, you know, late in my career started gaining a little bit more financial resources, being able to hunt more you know, expand my hunting opportunities, had two boys. Um, and we had moved to to the coast of Mississippi. And I started rereading my grandfather's a prolific storyteller. Um, he wrote, he type wrote a bunch of stories, he wrote a lot of things. And he just was he enjoyed that medium of storytelling. And I started rereading his stories. I started uh, I reread Old Man and the Boy by Robert Ruark. I don't know if you've ever heard of Robert Ruark and that that specific book, but it's all about Southeastern hunting. And I read it when I was 16 years old and I reread it. And my grandfather had inscribed all the way through it. It's a beautiful book that, you know, I'll give to my kids one day. And I was like, man, this is cool. This is, you know, you know, I think I should, you know, we could tell the story of hunters so much better. And again, at the time I was also, thinking more about why I hunted. I've got the biology to like why we would hunt. And I could tell my boys, like we're trapping raccoons and possums because they're nest predators and we want to increase quail and turkey populations on this property. But I, you know, I couldn't get into a deeper like why behind it. And when I looked online or I looked on outdoor channel, sportsman's channel, I couldn't find the why either. So I was like, well, why not build it? And then I also obviously at the time thought, well, if I built it, could I create like a hunting show with it? Like the, that we just focus on these individuals. And so I had an idea of what I wanted it to look like. I'm a pretty creative person. I know how I wanted it to feel. And so we created a couple of pilots and. Quick intermission here, guys. Just wanted to remind you and invite you personally to come join me over at Redbeard's Fit Crew and, of course, First Form Outdoors, those two groups over on Facebook. In Redbeard's Fit Crew, guys, we've got an amazing group of individuals that honestly just want to better their lives through living happier, healthier, more successful lives. You'll be able to find people, create your own group of individuals that maybe live near you that you can go on hikes with, camping trips, all of those things to get outdoors as much as possible, or simply just find a good group of people that will uplift you in your goals as you're heading into 2023. And so definitely go join us over there at Redbeard's Fit Crew. And of course, First Form Outdoors as well, an amazing group of individuals that just, again, loves to live 
a happier, healthier, more successful life and are striving to do that on a daily basis. So come join us over there, guys. Again, links down below, or you can look us up while you're listening to this podcast over on Facebook at Redbeard's Fit Crew. And now back to the conversation. Being the consistent individual I am, uh, I would call it patiently persistent individual. Um, that I just had this dogged determination of like, I just wanted to keep telling stories. And I did the whole like, reach out to people, reach out to companies. Hey, I'm doing this. And would you like to sponsor us or whatever that was back then um, in the hunting arena? And luckily, everyone told me no. They didn't quite say no. They're just like, oh, we like what you're doing. Keep doing it. You know, just the typical stuff like you've, you've mm -hmm. probably encountered. And little did I know that there were like a thousand other people like me pitching their own hunting shows. And little did I know how much ego was involved in the hunting industry at the time. I was completely nascent to anything and naive to, you know, what was transpiring around the in, in, or in the hunting community. And, um, I just kept doing it. And I remember Jim Shockey said to me, he was like, I couldn't believe that you kept emailing me. You kept sending me new content. You kept saying, this is what I'm doing. Hey, look at this. Look at this. Look at that. And so for three years, we just became this almost like independent, authentic look at hunters. That's what we focus on. That's our bread and butter. It's still our core foundational piece today. And then my wife said, well, look, I appreciate your passion, but I want my savings account back because we weren't getting any money in and I was just <laughs> pumping money out because been there too, man. <laughs> and, but, and I said, I, and the reason being is that I needed to have content that was of the highest, highest quality to differentiate myself from it, from everybody else. And so that's when we decided to look around and what other models could we explore. And the model that fit us best was a nonprofit model. And at the turn of COVID, we turned ourselves into a nonprofit. Probably the worst time to turn ourselves into a nonprofit, but the best time in terms of who we were and our message and people knowing about us, right? We weren't turning ourselves into a nonprofit at the beginning when everyone was like, who the hell are these guys? We're not going to give them money. You know, we turned ourselves into a nonprofit when everyone was like, oh, these guys know what they're doing. And then it also allowed us to expand our content versus from just the episodes of Hunters to now getting into documentaries, now getting into talking heads, now getting into infographics, now getting sort of, as you said, becoming the spear tip of, and because we're so small and so nimble, we can, we don't have any bureaucracy tied to us. We can pivot on a dime and go tackle this or, or tackle that or whatnot. So that's how Blood Origins was created, man. And, um, it's just going from strength to strength nowadays. And 2023 is, you know, obviously just around the corner, but we've got some phenomenal, phenomenal, much bigger pieces of content coming, not just, and when I say bigger, I mean more complex, more, you know, harder hitting stories uh, from all over the world. And we've got some big filming to be done in 2023, which will lead into much bigger stories in 2024. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. That's amazing. I, I love that. You know, it's, it's probably a blessing in disguise that you got a lot of no's because then you can take it. Absolutely. In the route that you no, we didn't belong to anyone. 
-hmm. belong to everyone. That's what I said. We do not, Blood Origins doesn't belong to anyone. It belongs to everyone. And so my grand plan is hopefully to have, you know, five camera companies all on the same line supporting us with the same amount of money. And, you know, we wear what we want, right? I like Kuyu. Kuyu's been a good supporter of ours um, in the past. Uh, hopefully we can get him back. Um, I like Kuyu. But I also have Sitka stuff. I also have First Light stuff. I also have Numa stuff. I also, you know, and we wear what we want to wear. So. Exactly. Yep. No, and that and that's awesome to hear that you didn't give up because it's just like anything else with, with businesses, but people generally tend to give up after being told no multiple times. And I love that Jim Shockey pointed that out to you, that he couldn't believe that you kept emailing. Uh, you know, and, and I always say that for me personally, that's something that I can be accused of. I, I'm not much of anything except for consistent and persistent, you know, mm -hmm. and that that amounts to a lot because, you know, even with your your Ph.D., uh, which is takes that takes. I mean, in and of itself, that shows your persistence and your consistency uh, getting a Ph.D., uh, you know, and, and it's it's amazing to me to hear that kind of story rather than just. It's cool to hear people that blow up overnight, but um, it's awesome to hear that you worked your tail off. And then also the the real story behind the scenes where your wife's like, okay, when's this going to no longer be a hobby? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, cause I I've, I've had that same discussion too. And I definitely understand that. So uh, it, it's, it, I think what you guys are doing honestly is amazing. And uh, I, I'm excited to see what you guys have coming. Isn't it crazy to think that, Two years ago was when you officially started everything. I mean, it's two well, years. No, no, uh, five, five years ago. Five oh, okay. years ago is when we first dropped our first piece of content. Okay. Mm. So for three years, we really just, we just were, we just were tied to people. Literally for three years, that's all we did. Two years ago is when we like blew up the, the sort of the pipeline in gotcha. terms of like, what do we say? What can we say? What can our message be more of, more around? And you were saying 2020 may not have been a good year. I, I would disagree with you on that, just from seeing the growth of how many hunters have come in because they're trying to get outside because they're so mm. tired of being so closed in. And you guys being that that great opportunity to learn more in an educated way rather than just Sportsman's Channel or wherever they would go to watch the content – um, getting that education along with it, because that is, uh, there was such an influx of people that got into the outdoors industry um, due to COVID, due to the lockdowns, oh, due 100%. to the whole 2020 thing. So I think that was that's, that was actually pretty pretty smart. You might not have realized it at the time or felt that way, but, <laughs> but oh, I think maybe from an audience perspective, you're right. But I think what I was talking more to is the financial. Oh, well, yeah, that's definitely, I can definitely hear you on that one. <laughs> you know, people were tightening purse strings and not knowing what was going on in the world. And mm -hmm. so exactly. but it worked out again, it worked out completely in our favor. And uh, yeah, we're just going strength to strength now. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you grew up, well, you didn't grow up hunting. You, uh, mm -hmm. you, you were adult onset hunter, kind of like me. And, uh, when you were, you know, 26, you started hunting. And then I, I love the idea that the question of why, which we can get so frustrated about as parents sometimes, um, I've actually kind of turned that around and realized that that's a, a another blessing in disguise that your kids ask you why so much, 
Uh, it can get frustrating when you don't have an hour to explain the reason why. But um, in all reality, it's good to delve into it even deeper, which is what kind of took you down that that rabbit hole of uh, just the question, why? You know, why do we do what we do? And um, I, I would just like to know why, obviously, coming to the U.S. as an adult, um, you've lived throughout the globe, but why, why not just focus on the U S or even just one state? Why did you decide to go global and you know take it that way? I don't think we ever had the intent. <laughs> it was almost just like it naturally happened and there were just opportunities to tell, you know, we went to Denmark and um, I think it was like January of 18 and got a couple of stories out of them and they were a little international flavored and um I think what set us on the trajectory of the international was in June of 2020. Yeah, it was June. The whole situation with tar in New Zealand came to sort of came to a head. And it was like the first thing that we were the front runners on. We had contacts on the ground in New Zealand. They sent us information three days before the decision was going to be made. I had big NGOs here in the United States calling me saying, do you have this draft operational plan? And I was a South African that had just started a small nonprofit in Mississippi and I had the draft operational plan and they didn't. I was like, what? how does that work? You know, And it's just because people trusted us and they trusted who we were and what we were going to say. And we dropped that video. I think it was called like Tom Ageddon 2.0 or something like that. And it got like 200,000 views on Instagram and had 250,000 views on Facebook. And it was almost like this, like, wow, we never knew we had this kind of like voice. And that's what sort of started it. And I think then people just started pinging us with things happening around the world. And we just got more and more clued in with, we almost have like this little underground network that don't work for us, but just our communities that are people that like us, that like what we do. And if anything comes across there, their feed or their social or something's happening, we get a we get a DM or we get pinged into a post or something like that. So um so yeah it's um it, I I think it's important that we were global. I think that there's enough bandwidth for us to be global. Um and I think there was a needed voice on the global stage essentially. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I definitely understand that. And I, I'd kind of forgotten about that. Um, as far as the tar in uh, New Zealand, cause they're, they're an invasive species, correct? Is that, and maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I, well, you know, how many hours do you have on this? Podcast? Okay. <laughs> well, basically they were no, saying they no they're, more they're, hunting they're, tar, they are, right? They are an introduced species. That's what, okay. Um, I would, classify like pigs as an invasive species possums as an invasive species down there rats stoats are feral invasive species tar i would say is a game resource in new zealand yes they're not native no mammals are native to new zealand so everything that is mammal is non-native is invasive mm. but they're a game resource they've been there since you know they've been there for 50 years uh they're going to be there for they're never going to get eradicated um and they drive an industry that has significant economic GDP in the, in New Zealand without with a sustainable management system in place that will protect New Zealand's native specifically flora 
in the Taz in the Taz scenario. Um, so yeah, there was just a, a controversy of like how many tar they were going to try and kill, and there was a department. There was the Department of Conservation New Zealand at the time was led by was again it's all politics. You've seen this happen anywhere everywhere around the world. The 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 conservation commissioner or the the member of parliament that was in in charge of the Department of Conservation was brought in from the outside by the government that was in charge. And she was the leader of what they called um, Forest and Bird, mm. which essentially is the PETA mm-hmm. of New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. So. Now that's, uh, yeah. And again, it's just decisions being made by people that they just, they're, they're not. No, they have an agenda. It's not, yeah. you're, you're about to say they're miseducated. It's not, they're not miseducated. They just have a different agenda. Digging their heels in, not mm. willing to learn, not mm-hmm. wanting to. Gotcha. Not wanting to. Yeah. Yeah. Not wanting. Yeah. I guess that, that's, that's a big key as well. Um, okay. Well, uh, that's, man, I can't remember that. Or I can't believe that was two years ago. Cause I remember that being a big thing. And, um, I remember following you guys' stuff, uh, you know, about that and man, I can't, wow. Yeah. That I'm was flies. our first project because I literally, our first project as a nonprofit that happened. Yeah. And I was like, I need to raise money because we had this great idea. Let's fly non-hunters and a vegan mm-hmm. into the backcountry of New Zealand yep. and show them tar for the first time. And those non-hunters, let's feed them tar stew while sitting in a hut in the backcountry of New Zealand. Yeah. And, and we did it. That was the first project awesome. we ever did. It was the first we helicoptered in all these people. I was like, I can't believe I'm not there. I'm paying for this and I'm sending freaking <laughs> non-hunters, helicoptering them into the backcountry of New Zealand, this magnificent landscape. And mm-hmm. it was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant little film. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, yeah, I do, I do remember that. I, no, I I really do remember that being probably the first thing that introduced me to you. Now that I now that I think about it, um, because that was that was a big deal. I just remember like in my mind what I can remember from the situation was basically they were talking about no more hunting tar. They were going to fly helicopters in basically and just kill all the tar. Which anyway, that just didn't make sense to me. Why not mm-hmm. allow people to provide for the, like we were saying, the GDP of going out. People are willing to pay good money to go to New Zealand mm-hmm. and hunt these tar and provide for New Zealand, but at the same time have the experience that they're looking for. Anyway, we could go, like you were saying, we can go on for hours about that. Uh, I would like to just talk a little bit about, you know, the the idea that you guys Man, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> but what I guess what would be a project that at this point um has allowed you to feel I guess most fulfilled? Is that mm. a is that a good question? Because you've had so many. No, I think they're all just amazing, man. You know, it's it's almost like when you when you're able to tap into like the humanitarian side of things and what hunters do from a humanitarian side of things then that's always going to be like top of the top of the line from a humanitarian perspective sure conservation projects are great the arkansas black bear project from a coloring perspective was great but like providing 20 grand to hunters for the hungry program in wyoming you know that that is really impactful right um literally coming out of zambia i'll give you an example fresh off my mind that we're going to try and get we're going to raise some money, hopefully in 23, four is we walked in a rural village in Zambia of a place that these people have forgotten. This place is actually called 
is is colloquially named the Forgotten Zambezi. It's a it's a part of the river that nobody knows about. These villages were just uh, were relocated to this area because of Lake Kariba flooding up in the fifties, and they've recently just got a clinic built, but the clinic can't be staffed because there's no staff accommodation. So these guys can't even come in. They'll come in for like a day every three months or four months. And so I walked, we walked the foundations of these new accommodation buildings that had been dug, but there were trees eight foot tall, 10 foot tall in the foundations already. They were dug a year and a half ago and there's no money to build them. There's no money to build the houses. And I was like, well, that, you know, can we can we raise the money to build those houses? Can hunters build money, raise money to support this forgotten place that everyone's forgotten about? And so that would, you know, that'll be very, very meaningful. But I think, you know, it's just again, each project has its own little piece to it, right? That own that its own little like, oh, that's cool about that project. Oh, that's cool about that project. Oh, we're funding you know, the culling of some animals to feed a local rural kid hostel in the Eastern Cape of South Africa that just, you know, and we went there and we saw the kids eating and we saw the building and we saw the conditions and we saw the, the, the woman cooking the meats and what nonsense. Yeah, it's, you know, and but we're always looking for projects. So if people listening to this podcast have ideas of things that we can get involved with that, you know, may need, you know, we're, we're funding from, you know, $5,000 range all the way through to a $30,000 range right now and and starting to get into the $50,000, $100,000 range moving forward. So we're just interested in, and and look, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that nobody else is doing this work. There's lots and lots of people doing great, great, great conservation work. I think though the problem is we all forget how to showcase that message, showcase the work that we're doing. And that's what, again, what Blood Ordinance is built for. Is showcasing yeah. the message, showcasing the good work that we do as hunters to change perceptions again of what hunting does for people, for wildlife, for communities. And that's the thing too is a lot of people, and I, I a lot of people that um, you know have charity organizations or are doing these great things, also don't want to come off as bragging, mm. you know, because it's that same kind of the heart that you have. You also don't want to show that you're doing all these great things, like oh look at me the way you guys present your projects, it isn't, and I love what you said earlier about, it's not, you're not beholden to one company or one thing. It's everyone's project. And, and so yes, you may be leading it and you and your, your team and, and everyone at blood origins, but at the same time, it's involving everyone. So the way you're able to present it isn't, Hey, look at me, look at what I did. It's look at what we all have done. Exactly. And that encourages more, uh, more people wanted to help donate time, whatever it is that, that they can give. Um, and, I, and I think that's just, that's, that's very unique because, you know, like you said, there's a lot of groups out there doing good things. They just don't know how to shine the light on it without looking mm -hmm. cocky in a mm -hmm. way, mm -hmm. um, which obviously they don't want to do because they're charity organizations. So um, I guess to kind of, I guess this is kind of a bigger question too, as why, at the beginning of the conversation, you mentioned that the U.S. has a lot of opportunities for hunting that isn't seen throughout the world. I wanted to touch on that before um, before I let you go here because I know you've got a you've got a hard stop coming up here. So, 
touch on that a little bit as to what do you mean by that? Because people may not, you know, mm. people may grow up whitetail hunting where they can get six, seven deer in a year mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they don't understand that how big of a privilege that is compared mm-hmm. to other states or even other nations in in the globe. So what what did you mean by that when you said that? I think you can you can couch it in sort of three pieces. I'll start with the first one. Is that the way that America is built constitution wise, as well as the the public land system that is in America allows two things to happen. Number one, point number one, is that you have the right to own guns. And so when you walk out your back door, like I walk out my back door here and drive 20 minutes down the road and get into a forest, I can walk with a loaded weapon in that forest and be completely legal. That is... That may happen in Canada. I do not know of another play. It may happen in Australia if you're legal, but you have to be a legal gun owner. Like, and there's there's some some nuance there, but it doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. Like, you just can't do that on public land, on state land, on on lands that anyone can be on, and that it's completely legal. Two. The second point is the public lands. Like, there's not much public land available to do the activity that you're interested in doing. So, in South Africa, yes, we have a lot of national parks, but you can't walk. It's not like Yellowstone. Like, you can't leave your vehicle. You can't just go hunt them. Um, if it is more open that you can go hiking in, like Drakensberg, there's a big mountain range in South Africa that you can go hiking in. Can't take a gun. And you can't hunt it. So there's no place. There's some public land hunting in Australia. There's a lot of public land hunting in New Zealand. New Zealand is very pretty much the closest model that you can get to America. But there's nowhere else in the world. Can you just show up with your gun, have all the little legalities checked, and go hunt public, private, public state-owned land? Very, very unique that America has that. Um, and then thirdly, I think it's the the ability for, you know, and that's tied to the North American wildlife model that the public, and, and that the resource belongs to the state, the resource belongs to the people of the United States. That is, a, it is a different wildlife management model than say South Africa and other places. Because South African wildlife model is the wildlife belongs to you the person, if it's on your land and you fence it, it belongs to you. That has its benefits. The you know the public land system has its benefits. They both have their downfalls too, but they both are probably the 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 two models for wildlife conservation that are touted around the world to show what can be done. You know, elk, pronghorn, wild t- whitetail, turkey, ducks have all seen significant increases because of the public land system because of the North American wild, uh, wildlife model. South Africa, the same thing. South Africa's head of wildlife, when I say heads, uh, amount of wildlife that South Africa had in the 70s was like 500,000, 600,000 head of wildlife. Today, it's between 20 to 26 million because of the privatization of wildlife to show that they had value over other land uses. Here in the United States, you don't have that because you don't need a value system to be greater. There is no system greater than the public land system. 
um, here in the United States. So gotcha. when I say the privilege of, of what you have here in the United States is, is almost lost on people is that you don't know anything else. You don't mm -hmm. know a system that has no public land. You don't know a system that you don't have the ability to legally own a gun and go utilize that gun. And the wildlife is also tremendous in terms of its density. Um, so those are the three points just to sort of, to sort of say, this is why, you know, the privilege that America is and has, you know, must, you know, you don't want to lose it. And so that's why you fight for it. Exactly. Exactly. And that, and that's, that's kind of what I wanted to get across to people that they understand. Cause I, I do understand that the, the other model, is it, technically called the south african model no no it doesn't have a name okay. it's just the, it's just a privatization of wildlife mm -hmm. and that's a it's a model that exists in america as well yeah. um but it is the primary model in south africa uh for wildlife conservation would and correct me if i'm wrong here is that more of a a lot of people may know it as pay to play is that kind of no it's it's not quite that not really it's okay. it, i always i would always couch it as a value so mm -hmm. If you're a landowner in South Africa and the wildlife didn't belong to you and, you know, you would be dictated by government in terms of regulations mm -hmm. tied to that wildlife, which is the fight that's happening in New Mexico right now in terms mm -hmm. of the E-plus system and elk tags and whatnot. Yep. Well, why would I value the wildlife? Same thing as New Mexico. New Mexico private landowners are like, if you take away E-plus, if you take away the fact that I can get an elk tag on my private property, why do I, why would I care for the wildlife? Why would I care for the elk on my property? Yep. Same thing in South Africa. Now that I own the wildlife, yes, to the exclusion of others, but I now have a fiscal responsibility. I now mm -hmm. have a moral responsibility to look after that wildlife. And mm -hmm. so I have to put money into that wildlife. And yes, it so happens that that wildlife is valuable from photographic tourism, ecotourism, hunting, game management, venison sales, and it's more profitable, more valuable than an alternative land use, which would be row crop agriculture or cattle or beef or goats or something mm. else. Gotcha. Cool. I think those are really good. Really, obviously, you've done talking points before. <laughs> but those I've are, done a couple of podcasts, yeah. Don't, it's almost like <laughs> you've done this before. Yeah. No, uh, in all reality, I think that's a really good and uh, simplified way. And I, I think you really do have that talent of being able to shift from audience to audience and explaining it in a way that's understandable for people. And uh, you're very approachable as far as like being able to, you know, communicate with people. Uh, people don't feel, at least from what I can see, they don't feel ridiculed by you and your answers. Um, that's a big thing too. You know, people don't like asking questions if they feel like they're going to get uh, smacked 100%. in the face with the answer, you know? So 100%. yeah, uh, that I definitely appreciate that. Well, um, is there anything as we wrap it up here, is there anything that you want to leave with the audience that we haven't touched on? I know there's a billion things that you've got going on and there's so many things I want to ask from you, but uh, you know, short of sending people your way, what would you like to say to the audience or leave them with as we wrap it up here? Uh, a couple of things. Number one, if you, you know, are in the spirit of giving. We are a nonprofit. We are a fundraising organization, and we need funds to keep doing what we're doing every single day. If you have a company uh, that is looking for a tax-deductible donation, we have a conservation club. And and honestly, one of my 
challenges for myself in 2023 is I want the Joe Blow companies involved in, in our conservation club. I don't, I love hunting industry partners, of course. Um, but I'd love to have the tile guy, the electrician, the plumber, um, those companies that are like, man, I'm a hunter. I like what you do. I want my plumbing company associated with what you do. So if you have one, reach out to us, please. Uh, we'd be we're absolutely interested to, to have a conversation. Number two, uh, I'll leave you with that. If you want to change perceptions around hunting, all you need to do is think. It's the simplest thing that you can do. Think before you post. Think before you pull the trigger. Think before you comment. Think before you respond. If you just do a little bit of thinking or give it 24 hours, some people like to just like, I'll give it a 24-hour rest period. I'm telling you what, the change, the perceptions around who you are will change overnight. So that's it, man. Keep fighting the fight. Thank you. I much appreciate the opportunity. I apologize that I have the hard stop here. No, you're good. You're um, good. But appreciate the opportunity. I'm always humbled when people ask like, hey, would you like to come on my podcast? And whether you've got an audience of two or two million, it doesn't matter to me. Um, just appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, and this definitely won't be the last time as long as you accept another invitation in the future. I'll do it. Uh, no no, no but, problem. Uh, yeah, so guys, go follow Blood Origins. I'll leave the links all down below so you can go uh, donate and you can go follow what they're doing, what their projects are. Um, thanks again, Robbie, for being on. I really appreciate it. And guys, as I always say, get out, live your life, and love it. All right, guys, I'm super excited to have shared this conversation with you. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, go if you're if you're looking for a great organization to give to that will uh, benefit conservation and help actually fight for the privilege that we have to hunt and the amazing ways that we help with nature. Uh, go look at blood origins and their messages go watch their videos guys they're doing amazing things they've got great things planned here in the near future and in the far future he just robbie has this amazing vision to get people involved and educated so go check out blood origins guys again links are down below and hope you have an amazing rest of your weekend first official full weekend of the new year hope you're getting after your goals and uh Hope you, of course, you get out, live your life, and love it.